0: So, Phil recruited me to sell these cards, and now I am recruiting you. Who is this guy again? Don't worry about Phil. He drives a Corvette. He is doing just fine. Okay, calling cards are the wave of the future. These things sell themselves. Who uses calling cards anyway? You know what? That's a nice attitude, Ryan. I'm just helping you invest in your future, my friend. It sounds like a get-rich-quick scheme. Yes, thank you. You will get rich quick. We all will. Didn't you lose a lot of money on that other investment, the one from the email? You know what, Toby? When the son of the deposed king of Nigeria emails you directly, asking for help, you help. His father ran the freaking country, okay? Alright, so raise your hand if you want to get rich. Alright. No, um, how is this not a pyramid scheme? Alright,
1: let me explain again.
0: Phil has recruited me and another guy. Now, we are getting three people each. The more people that get involved, the more people who are investing, the more money we're all gonna make. It's not a pyramid scheme. It is a, it's not even a scheme per se, it's. I have to go make a call. Good morning, Hope. Uh, my name is Pete Smith. I'm the church life minister here. And has anybody been approached about a pyramid scheme before? Yeah, I have. There's been a couple times. I remember one time in college, uh, I was an RA. It was my senior year as an RA at UNI. And uh, one of the other guys on my floor came up to me. and He showed me a picture. He's like, check this. I was like, oh, cool. That's a guy with a jet. And he's like, yeah, that's his jet. It's like, oh, cool. Okay. He's like, do you ever want to own a jet? I was like, no, I'm good. I, think I, I don't think I need to. He's like, oh, I do. I want to own a jet. He started talking about all these different jets. And, and he said, you could get Im- involved with this too. And he's, do you wash your hair? I was like, yeah, I wash my hair. Do you do dishes? Yeah, I get. Uh, yeah. And he's like, you could do all that and get rich. And I'm like, ah, I think I'm good. I don't think I'm your audience for this one. Uh, over and over again, though, we get approached, right, by, uh, uh, we get this idea in life, right, of like, we just want to get whatever is better get rich quick, or, or what, are, what are the things in our bank account? Uh, how, what does that look like in our lives? Over and over again as a society, I think that we do that. What I think is cool is is that we kind of start out, we continue on with Matthew and connecting the dots where we get to see Matthew, a, a Jewish uh, tax person who collects taxes for the Roman government, who writes this gospel, this, this good news about Jesus and is allowing us to kind of see all these different cool points Connecting the dots from the Old Testament to the New Testament, uh, showing us that how Jesus, uh, who Jesus was and and pointing back to all these different things in the Old Testament. I think it's cool to see that, that, that maybe there's something different. It's not about owning a jet. It's not about having your own personal jet or whatever it might be that you kind of elevate to that level. But instead that there's a bigger thing. Uh, And what I think is super cool is that not only is that that Matthew is kind of connecting these dots back, but Matthew is also kind of pushing forward too. that we 2000 years or so later can still look at what Matthew writes and say, I get it. It works. It applies to me, too. The living, breathing word of God still works in my life. So I think it's super cool. I feel honored to be able to talk about it this morning and and, uh, hopefully it makes sense, so we'll see. But the way that I see it is, is that we have, just like what was drawn, like Michael Scott and Jim drew on The Office, we have a triangle in front of us, don't we? We have a pyramid that's in front of us. The goal in our life and what the world tells us the goal should be is to get to the top. The goal that we were supposed to do and, and what we were told over and over again is to, we need to have the right title at work. Our, our, our paycheck needs to look a certain way. We need to have enough money in the bank account, right, that we have some set amount. Maybe we need to live in the right neighborhood or drive the right vehicle, wear the right clothes. If you have kids, they need to be a certain way. They need to have their achievements. They, they need to meet these achievements that you have set in front of them. We're constantly living this life of comparing and wanting to reach the top. But I think what we will see in Matthew and we see in the readings that we had this last week as we're doing the whole Holy Bible in a year, which also has been so cool to just see uh, how so many people are so excited about that. It's awesome that uh, all these different groups that are getting together to encourage each other and to discuss it. But as we see that and as we kind of start dissecting the whole Holy Bible and we look what Matthew writes, those things aren't bad, they're just not the point trying to strive and get to the top is not necessarily what we are called to do. And just like Michael Scott, I think when we see that pyramid scheme where it's just trying to get more and more power, more and more money, more and more influence, whatever it might be, we're pushing others down below us so that we can get better. That's what our society tries to tell us to do. I feel like we're all kind of living a pyramid scheme here a little bit, right? How do we look? How do we act? How do we reach that top point? How do we reach greatness, I think is the question, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with greatness. Don't hear me, hear me on this. Like, and those things, I don't think there's anything wrong with those things that I mentioned. I don't think there's anything wrong with greatness. I think that honestly, with greatness, uh, God created us to be great. When we read in Genesis, the first book, and we see the creation story, and, and then God says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. We were created in the image of God. Turn to the person next to you and you say, you are great, you were created in God's image. That's a long saying. <laughs> there you go, did it though, good job. We were created in God's image, right? We were created to be great, but I think it's a great, it's a different way. And I think what Jesus kind of lays out for us in Matthew is that it's a different Greatness than what we normally see. That our world provides us a different view of what greatness is. That I think that what the problem is is that the way we see it with that pyramid, and saying that we want to be at that point on the top is not how God wanted it to be. We see God said greatness and and we will create him in our image, and then we see chapters later in Genesis. We see that greatness go away. Cain and A- we, have the, we read the story of Cain and Abel, sons of Adam and Eve, and, and Cain kills Abel because Cain wanted to be great. We see Cain saying, I want to be better than you. You're better than me and I need to be better than you. Or then we read about the, like the Tower of Babel. It's all over the Old Testament, Tower of Babel. We have all these people get together and they're building this structure, this tower, and they say, this is so amazing. Let's keep going. Let's be equals to God. I mean, that's how it all happened, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, they, they, they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but what was the lie that they were told? They were said, if you eat from this, you will be like God. You will be God's equal. We kind of changed the way of what greatness means. And now it's that triangle like this where you're trying to get to that top, top point. But I don't think that's how God intended it to be. All throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, we can read about these different people and how they are striving to be great, striving to be on the top of that triangle and missing it, missing the point. Maybe they get to that top, but that's not where God desires for us to be. There are some examples in the Bible, though, uh, of some people who uh, lived out exactly how God defines what greatness is, is called to be. And one of those is Moses. Anytime that I think of Moses, this is what I think of. I don't know, is anybody else with me? Seriously, anytime. Uh, this is Charlton Heston, everybody that uh, would not know. Uh, he was in a movie called The Ten Commandments. I don't even think I've seen that whole movie, to be 100% honest. I remember as like a little Pete uh, at my great-grandma's house, and it was on like, not a digital TV and it was probably black and white. And it was probably, the screen was probably like that big and fuzzy and I was playing with toys, but I think I remember it being on. But anytime, obviously that is not what Moses looked like. We all know this, but man, anytime, let my people go. I don't even know if he says that, but that's what I imagine. Let my people go and, and Moses like this. But Moses is an example for us that's laid out in the book of Exodus about what God, how God defines greatness. So we, uh, in our readings for this last week, it's Matthew, and then it was the beginning of Exodus. And so I'm going to kind of touch on Exodus, give you a little bit if you weren't able to get into it, uh, to kind of give some background, I guess, on where it's at. Exodus picks up kind of a little bit after where Genesis stops. Genesis, the end of Genesis, we have Joseph in his, in his amazing Technicolor dream coat. Go, 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 Joseph. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I was in that musical. I was not very good. Uh, I do not sing on purpose. Uh, the, um, but I was in it. It was desperation. They needed, somebody else got, he broke his arm. So he couldn't be like, I was one of the brothers. So I filled in. Um, anyway, I, I, was, I was a Napa delivery driver at the time. And so I'd push the, put a tape in and just be driving parts around town and, and learning the songs is what I did actually. Um, anyway, uh, we have Joseph and Joseph becomes number two. He climbs that pyramid, that triangle, right? In, in Egypt, he's number two. He's the Pharaoh's right-hand man. And his brothers come, his family comes because there's a plague and a, or a famine and they come in to, because uh, they had food there in Egypt. And then we have Exodus and Exodus picks up and they're still there, they're still in Egypt and they're flourishing, they're growing, their family's growing. They become, a lot. there's been a lot of, there's a lot of people there now, years and years have passed. And then Pharaoh, who's at the very top of that pyramid, the, the ruler, the king, of Egypt looks at these people the Israelites is what they're called and he looks at them and he says they're getting too big they're gonna they they could overthrow me potentially because that's the other thing right when when you think about the triangle when you think about the pyramid and you want to be as high up as you can at the top it's all about power isn't it it's about control it's about how can I keep where I'm at how can I keep what I have and so Pharaoh does that. Pharaoh says, I, they're, gonna, they're getting too big. They're going to overthrow me. So I'm going to make them my slaves. And he enslaves all the Israelites. And that works kind of. But then Pharaoh takes it another step f- further. And he says, not only that, but I, let's kill, I want to kill every firstborn son. And that's where we kind of pick up. That's where Moses' story kind of picks up. So every Israelite firstborn son is being killed, and and uh, Moses is born. Obviously, he's a male, and so his mom and sister devise a plan to try to save his life. and And so they, after he, uh, you know, got a little bit uh, more dependent, uh, you know, still a baby, but he gets put into, um, he gets put into a, a raft kind of a thing and put into the water. But the hopes that Pharaoh's daughter would find. And she did. She took him home. She found this baby took him out of the, of the cradle and brought him home and made him part of Pharaoh's family. Could you imagine? So, so you have your pyramid, right? And you, pyramid, do you get it? You got a pyramid. We're talking about Egypt, right? Uh, you got your pyramid. You got Pharaoh up at top. And you have the Israelites at the very bottom. They're the slaves, right? They have no power. And you have this boy who was born a slave and now is at the top. But that's not, what ends, that's not where Moses' life ends. That's not where we get to see God's power and glory shine through him. Instead, that's where it just starts. Moses then has a very interesting couple of years after he, uh, he ends up killing somebody. He flees Egypt. And when he's away, he encounters a burning bush that talks to him and a staff that turns into a snake. Like all these very odd things happen to him. And then God says to him, I need you to go back to Egypt. I need you to go back because my, I can hear my people, the Israelites crying for my help to be free. So he goes back, asks for them to be free. He goes back to his grandpa and says, I guess, right? The grandpa, he says, set, set the Israelites free. And he says, no. Could you imagine if you were a pharaoh and you're at the top of that and you have a, a huge mass of people below you, if you let them go, then probably everybody else below you, it's gonna crumble, right? Your power is gonna go away because if they see one pre- set of people leave, why can't I do that? Why can't I leave? And so he says, no. God says 10 plagues and we all know, we, maybe we all know this, I guess. And if I'm, I'm sorry if this is all re-new, or new, or, uh, old stuff. Sends 10 plagues and finally, we get to see Moses free God's people. Moses was able to bring God's chosen people, the Israelites, from slavery to freedom, from death to life. Pretty cool. Moses was able to leave that top of that pyramid to serve others, to do God's will. Moses then has been lifted up throughout the rest of the Old Testament and even in the New Testament as like a pillar of the faith. Somebody to look to. A rock star of Judaism, a rock star of Christianity because he followed what God wanted him to do. He gave up of himself for God's glory. But then Moses said, there's somebody greater than me that's coming. And he talks about this a little bit in Deuteronomy. He says, Moses continued, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Somebody greater than me is coming. You must listen to him. You think I'm good? You just wait. And we all know that that person that Moses was talking about was the Messiah, it was Jesus, who came and modeled this idea of Moses even more for us. So that's where I want to pick it up is in our readings uh, today from Matthew. If you want, you can open up as well. Uh, it's Matthew chapter 20. Uh, if you want it in your Bible, Bible apps, I'll read out loud too. There'll be a little bit on the screen for us, but, um, but I want to kind of go back a few. And so we're going to start in, chap- in uh, verse, verse 20 as well. So chapter 20, verse 20 it says this, Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and her sons. She knelt respectively to ask a favor. What is your request? He asked. She replied, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, you know the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. What a story, right? I love the beginning of it, that James and John's mom comes and says to Jesus, like, hey, Jesus, I know you're gonna be the next big thing. Can they be your, you know, like your number one and number two? Can they be at their left and your right? Again, think about it like a pyramid, right? If Jesus is the top of that pyramid, they wanna be the next ones down. What a mom. They're going for it, right? That's pretty good. Good job, mom. Uh, but that's not the way Jesus sees things. That's not the way God sees things. He does not see things as, as like this, where there's a top and then you want to work your way down. So I love that Jesus kind of takes this moment. And, and of course, I also think in this story, I think there's just a, some interesting stuff too, where of course the other disciples, the other 10, when they hear that they're jockeying for, for position, what would you do? You'd probably go talk to them too, wouldn't you? Well, how come they get to be better than me? I'm just as good as them. And Jesus then uses this moment to teach us something big, to teach them and I think to teach us. Because I'm guilty of the same. I'm guessing a lot of us are, right? Of what does it look like in my life? Do I have, am I reaching the points that I want to be reaching? Or am am I comparing myself to somebody and does it matter? But I love what Jesus says. Where he says, but among you, oh sorry, oh yeah, but among you it will be different. That works. Among you, it will be different. It's different than what it normally looks like in the world. The way that you are called to live is different. And then Jesus goes on to talk about this idea of being a servant and a slave, which I want to kind of dive into a little bit today. This idea of, okay, we're going to look at what it means to, like, okay, how do, how do we actually be different? The being a servant and a slave. So Jesus then, when he talks about servant, he says this um, He says, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. I was kind of doing some research and and reading about this word servant because I thought it was interesting because obviously this is a very important thing for Jesus to be kind of highlighting this idea of servant. And and the word that he uses is not really a, a religious word at the time. It just meant somebody that would come and help. somebody that you'd hire to come and, to help you with whatever it was around your house. It was nothing exciting about it. There was nothing that was like, oh, that's revolutionary. Uh, like, this makes sense to me. This, it was just a common word. But Jesus elevated it, didn't he? You see, when I think of uh, a servant, I think of Downton Abbey. Does anybody, has anybody watched Downton Abbey before? It's like that BBC show. Nobody wants to raise their hand. I understand. Because uh, I did not like it either. Um <laughs> Just kidding. I didn't like it, but I was just kidding about it. Right here. Um, the uh, it's a it's this TV show. It's uh, that was from the BBC, and it's about like turn of the century uh, household and and kind of. They had the Lord and the Lady of the House and they all these people that lived in this house that were their servants. One time, uh, my wife watched it. I tried watching a couple of things of it. Marta thought it was awesome. Uh, call the Midwife, if you, side note, this has nothing to do with anything, but that's a great BBC show that uh, I think is way better. Um, anyway, but don't watch it when you're uh, pregnant. That's not a good one to watch when you're pregnant. <laughs> we had to stop watching it when our kid, my wife was pregnant. Um, but um, in that show, you have these servants and I, I, was, I asked, my brother who also watched it. And I thought, I was like, hey, we, we like a lot of the same things. Like, Phil, why do you like this show? And he's like, I don't know, it's good. And sometimes it's funny. And I was like, funny? Tell me how it's funny because there is nothing about it that looks funny. Nothing, there's no office moments in there, I feel like. And my brother sat there and he thought for a minute and he's like, oh yeah, okay, I got an example. Um, there was one time when the Lord of the house, and maybe some of you know, I'm sure he pro- somebody's gonna laugh I, probably on this one, right? Like there's a good moment, he said. The Lord of the house uh, was going to dinner, but his dinner tuxedo was dirty, and so he had to wear his lunch tuxedo. <laughs> no? Okay. I, I, I didn't laugh either. Uh, <laughs> the, but when I, when I think about serving, I think about that, right? I think about these people that they lived in this house, they served this, this family, cooked, cleaned, did dishes, uh, washed, uh, washed clothes, all those sorts of things. But then they also, I remember the few episodes that I saw, I, they also had a life outside of that. They would go, like, I remember they went to, like, some fair or something like that. And they were able to kind of play games and do things. And it wasn't just about the house. They, 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 they were, it was an elevated, but Jesus kind of elevated this, right? This idea of servant that it wasn't just about, about serving, but it was, it was about more than that they would choose to kind of be a part of something because they were able to choose to do it. And so that's what we're called to do too. We're able to, we have the ability in our life to be able to, to give of ourselves in a certain way, right? To serve however we feel called. And, and sometimes I, we're busy. <laughs> like, uh, our, our family is super busy and we have stuff going on almost every night, it feels like. Yeah, sometimes you feel that pull that tug to do something, don't you? Don't ignore that. Please don't ignore that. That's the Holy Spirit saying to you, I have something great for you by serving others. The second thing that Jesus then talks about is about uh, when he says he talks about being a slave. When he says, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Now, I don't know about you, when I read that word though, it, it has bad, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. That we, obviously, we are still deeply dealing with the slavery that was in the United States you know, almost 200 years ago or whatever. Um, deeply dealing with it, and rightfully so, because there's a lot to process there. And we, for, and we ignored it for a long time. But as a slave, you, give up, you have no rights. Even at Jesus' time, this would not be considered something that, that uh, was like a good word. Servant was like, oh, whatever, word, and this was not a good one. They were property. They didn't have rights. The slave's goal in life was to solely serve the master. It wasn't a choice. You had to do it. Yet Jesus chooses to elevate this word as well. Jesus elevates servant. Jesus elevates slave. Because Jesus is saying that our world is not like this. It's not just a pyramid. But really, our world is upside down. It flips. Jesus flips what this world is. We have some examples of some amazing examples of what it looks like to, to actually ha- be a slave for Christ. Paul talks about this uh, in his letter to the, the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians. 9:19. Uh, he says, "Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ." Paul, this guy who he wrote a lot of the New Testament, a lot of the letters in the New Testament are written by Paul. Paul was an educated Jewish man. He went to school. He was able to. He had a bright future in front of him. And what he decided to do was instead of pursuing that, and instead of living a life that he could have lived, that would have been pretty nice. He's going to give it all up to bring many to Christ. He chooses to give up so that God can be glorified. And he's just following an example here. He is just following an example that was laid out before him uh, through Jesus himself. In Philippians, Paul says uh, that instead he, Jesus, gave up his divine privileges Jesus took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. God himself came to earth to serve. Gave up everything to cover your sins. Because God loved each and every one of us so much that that he came, he sent his son to die on the cross for you. You see, Christianity to me, I think is kind of, a, it's like you can view it as kind of like an upside down faith. God flipped that triangle upside down. The early Christians in Acts, I love that this. this is from the New King James Version, but I love what they, they were like kind of going around and they're kind of telling everybody about Jesus. They were evangelizing. They were telling people who Jesus was and, and preaching it to them and living it out. And then somebody noted, this is what they said, uh, these who have turned the world upside down here, have, or have come here too. Christians, these Christians who have turned the world upside down, have come here too. God turned the world upside down. God or changed it to back to where it was supposed to be. How it was created. I don't know if anybody, was anybody able to watch uh, this last Monday was the Hope Elam uh, MLK celebration. Was anybody able to watch that? It was awesome. If you have not watched it, uh, go on YouTube this afternoon, Hope Elam, and it'll show up. It was amazing. My son, Beck, and I uh, watched it on the couch on Monday. It was amazing. They, they, there was some awesome stuff. Please go and watch it. They had a special guest speaker though, Sam Echo, and he was, a nine, he was in the NFL for nine years. He was, uh, and now he kind of lives his life as a follower of Christ trying to help bring God's kingdom here. He understands that this is the way that God views things. And so instead of being at the top, which you would think as a professional athlete, he decides, no, I'm gonna be at the bottom. I want to support other people, and so he shared a story uh, during his as he was kind of talking and he was presenting. It's excellent. Please go, please go and check it out. Uh, but he shared a story about uh, it was during COVID and it was during uh, there was a lot of uh, racial riots going on around the United States, a lot of racial tension, and and his what he considered like his his place of residence, Chicago, was. Under fire, like there was just a lot of going on there. And, and so he called somebody that he knew and he said, I'm here, I can get as many people as you want. I, we've got, we're professional athletes. We've got uh, coffers and coffers of cash. What can we do? Tell us, we're ready. And the person that I talked to said, we want you to come and listen. Come and listen. Again, help support as opposed to come from the top. So they came and listened. And he brought people from all over. He said he brought from all the major sports teams in Chicago, all came to, go to this, west, this part of west side of Chicago to a community center to listen to the people that were there. They drove around in a vehicle, like in a bus afterwards to see the community. And then they had an idea. Check out what Sam
1: says about his idea. What if we could use our gifts for good? So we started to plan and to pray and to process and to think and to say, okay, we're going to do it, this and that. We said, but, but first, as I started to you know, gather people together and think about maybe the potential of turning one of these liquor stores into a, like a food mar- something, we went back the next week and sat with some of the kids from that community, asked a couple questions. We said, hey, we have this idea. Like, what if we, um, would you want a, a healthy food mart in your community? They said, Sam, we would love one. We said, okay, quick question, where do you get your healthy food from? Excuse me, where do you get your food from? He says, well, Sam, if we wanna get food, we'll, you know, go to the gas station or McDonald's. I'm thinking, like, the gas station? Like McDonald's, but the gas station, like, come on, you know what I mean? Like, he said, where do you get something healthy, something organic? like what? They said, Sam, if we want to get something healthy or organic. We have to commute 45 minutes. To a different city. So, yes, we would love a healthy food mart in our community. So with that, we met the next week and we brought in some designers and some builders and some architects, say, hey, what if we planned with them, like y'all do the planning, we'll raise the money. So in a week we raised half a million dollars. With 17 people. We bought the liquor store. Started to dream about turning it into this like healthy food mart. The kids came up with the name. We called them actually not even kids, um, young entrepreneurs. Because they ran it. Called Austin. Because the neighborhood's called Austin, right? The Austin neighborhood is called Austin Harvest. Providing community through fresh food. They ran it, they procured all the food. We got them, some didn't have bank accounts, some were jobs canceled. We got them bank accounts to get paid. And then we did this thing, which is like one of my favorite things too. I love throwing parties. We, we threw a, a, um, a liquor store teardown party. It was amazing. So about seven weeks after the first idea was implanted, we had this liquor store teardown party. And a few weeks after that, Austin Harvest, this, this fresh food mart, was born. The reason I share this story is that on that day, when we opened up this fresh food mart, it's a couple of athletes and some young entrepreneurs, some business people as well, architects, it felt like heaven on earth. It felt like heaven on earth.
0: How cool of a story is that, right? Like they they understood that, yeah, we have the resources, but we want to support you. The pyramid like this isn't working. They recognized that and they said, okay, that's not how God works either. That the world is not like this. Jesus himself said, my kingdom is not of this world. but we can make a difference. Jesus modeled that. We have so many people in our lives that that we can read about or we can watch videos about or hear about that have modeled what it really looks like to live in Jesus's kingdom, in Jesus's world. Yeah, the story that Sam shared is one example of God's kingdom coming here, but I think that we could probably all think of some that we've been a part of even. So the question that I want to leave you with this morning is this. The one that I want you to kind of ponder as you as you go through your week and as as you start figuring out okay, these are the things that matter to me and these are the things where I'm just trying to climb to the top. How do you live your life? How do you live your life? Are you living it for the ways of the world? I'm just gonna keep climbing and striving and obtaining and gaining and and I've got to keep moving forward because that's what matters. Or are you living it for the kingdom of God? Using what you have to support who God is. It's hard. I think but sometimes I'm on this side, sometimes on this side, and I, I jump back and forth. But I strive, I want, I desire to be over here. I want to be living in God's world. God's kingdom. Not what's in front of me, now it's what is set inside in, uh, like this is the American dream. But no, not that. We get there's better, more to life than that. It's my hope for us, hope, and and for our communities that we live in and our households and where we work and and every aspect that our life touches. That instead of seeking me, we are seeking God by serving and giving and, and living a way to help lift others up. Please join me in prayer. God, we praise you this morning. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for the way that you work in our lives, God. The fact that you model what it truly means to love others. That it's giving up of of ourselves so that you may be glorified. So God, we praise you. We thank you. And God, we pray for the ways and the vision to be able to do that scary to start thinking of others over us. But God, show us how to do that. Give us the strength and the ability to say I choose your kingdom. Not this world but God, your world. We praise you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.